in the club. Hello, I am your host, Ashley, and this is Dyslexia Coffee Talk. We are back for a brand new season with a very special guest to launch us off today, Mr. Amir Baraka. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Ashley. Unfortunately, I don't have my coffee. I already <laughs> had coffee this morning, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm on water at this point. I've been up since, uh, the, since before the sun hit the horizon this morning for soccer, so. I'm already on the water. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, I, I was so grateful when I reached out to you just a couple of days ago, you responded instantly and said, you know, let's do this. So I was really excited. You wanted to share your story with us. Absolutely. I mean, cause it's very important. I mean, it's, it's it, every time I get the opportunity to talk about dyslexia, uh, I jump on it, uh, whether it's in the ghettos, whether I'm in a Walmart with some, a parent talking, uh, everywhere I go, every opportunity, uh, opportunity I get, I, I, I talk about it because it's, it's so important and uh, that's what I do, that's just me. So I think, you know, I think everybody in our community knows your story, but let's, I think we should share your story. So tell tell me like how, I don't even kind of know how to phrase the question. Tell me about you, Amir. Tell me, well, <laughs> tell, first tell me your dyslexia story. Yeah. Uh, my dyslexia story uh, uh, started, I guess one of the, I, well, I'll, I'll start from the front opposed to starting backwards and, and going, uh, going forward, starting backwards. Uh, Early on in my childhood development, I, I knew that uh, something was terribly wrong when both my brothers and sisters were achieving well, and I wasn't. Um, I had a grandmother who uh, believed in education, and uh, she had always told us, told us that the only way that the Negro would get out of poverty was through education. And so it was very important to her that we learn to read and spell. That was, and she had a third grade education. So she would have a chalkboard in the house. We lived in the projects. And so she had this big chalkboard and the chart and she didn't play with you learning how to spell. It was crucial. She wanted you reading fluently and she wanted you spelling. That was big uh, because what she did was she cleaned, uh, she would go leave the, leave the home and go into uh the areas, some of the prominent white areas and clean people's houses. And so my grandmother never wanted us to do those type of things. She realized that the, the, the people that she was taking care of their kids, they all read well. And she would tell us how important reading was and how important going to college was. And so my grandmother had a way of, the tr traditional way of spanking you, making sure you get your words right and making sure you spell right. And so she spanked us but my brother and sister, they caught on really fast and their spankings were very minimal. Uh, I got spanked a lot uh, because she thought apparently that I just wasn't trying hard enough or uh, I was fooling around. Uh, but thank God she had the, uh, the bandwidth to realize after about two years of that, a year and a half of that, that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. So she kind of backed off of me. And by now I'm in the third grade and I'm cutting school I'm sleeping in the project hallways because I'm fearing going into the classrooms 
So I got a lot of beatings for that. My mother was like, why didn't you go to school this Friday? Right, the teacher would call, he wasn't in school. So I, I, get, I got beat for that. And I never divulged to them that I was suffering from this inability to, to, to spell. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, uh, no one knew, they just thought, I was just goofing off, I was a bad kid. And so there was a couple of boys in my classroom who struggled with this as well, a guy named Thomas. And my other friend, uh, his, his name escapes me at the, at the moment, but Earl, he had gotten drowned. He would never come to class because he couldn't read. And Thomas couldn't read and I couldn't read. And uh, Earl was went off and he drowned. Uh, Thomas really struggled uh, really poorly. and uh, But we kind of stayed close together uh, through our elementary years. I get to junior high school and by now I'm in the sixth grade and I was just passed on. I never, I don't know how I got to the sixth grade. I really don't. It just passed me on. And so now uh, I'm in sixth grade. I'm, you, you have to read. I'm in English class. You have seven classes or six classes at this time. You're going from class to class to class. Right. And so uh, I was in, it was the first year of school and uh, I was in reading and the teacher called me up to read and the teacher totally embarrassed me. I was up there for about, I would say at least, I would say at least eight minutes, seven or eight minutes. Wow. Trying to read a paragraph. And I knew that day I was going to choose to be a drug dealer because I could not function in the, in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I was embarrassed. I was shamed. And right. so I made it up in my mind that I, I, I can't do things the conventional way. So what made me think about being a drug dealer because I was living in that environment. I was living in the projects and I saw these men with nice cars, nice jewelry. They had a lot of respect, right? And I'm like, I gotta find, I gotta find some way to get that type of respect. Right. I can't get it in the classroom. So I have to get it in the streets. And as kids, you know, we all want respect. We wanna, we wanna compete, we wanna be competitive. And so I had to be competitive. And so I, I went to the streets. And I became competitive in the streets while my brothers and sisters went on straight on through high school, straight into college, right? I mean, just flying by uh, it, it, due to the fact that they read fluently and right. that they enjoyed school. They had a, a love for learning and I didn't, I, I just didn't, I couldn't learn, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I made some poor choices to get involved in drugs, get involved in street life and uh, I encompassed myself around a lot of older guys. They took me under their wings. And I'm about 14 years old at this time. And they started giving me drugs to use and drugs to sell. And I just, I just, I just lost my, I fell into just deep depression. I was depressed as a kid for a very, very long time. Had a lot of anger, like had a lot of hate. Uh, I will hurt you uh, because of the fact that I just, I, I was different in a way, and I didn't like that way that I was different. I was different in a negative way because I just couldn't compete in class. I just couldn't be smart like my brothers and sisters. And so hearing your mother call you names and saying things about you really impacted my emotions, right? Um, I, I felt that way. I thought that way. And I acted out as such. Right. Uh, so it's very important that parents don't do that. I don't care how off the kid is. You cannot use that type of language towards your kids because they sh it shapes them.
And so now uh, I'm engulfed in the street life. Uh, I don't forget, it was a guy, I was, was about 14, 15, and I never went to school. I just never went to school. I would just always go and sell drugs. My mother would bring me to school. I would leave right after and go to sell drugs. And the guy brought a newspaper. He said, man, can you read? And he put a newspaper in front of me and I couldn't read it. He said, man, you need to be in school, you know? And so he kind of, he kind of got on me really, really bad about that. And I was embarrassed by that, but he, you know, it's like, I can't read. Why would I be in school if I can't read, right? You, you don't understand. He didn't understand it from my perspective. I, it's embarrassing that you can't read. Right. You don't want anyone to know you can't read. And, and when the teachers are shaming you. Yeah, when the teachers call you up and they want you to read. And I mean, no one really understands that frustration unless you are a dyslexic kid, mm-hmm. a person. And uh, I just, I hated school. I hated being around smart people because, you know, I wasn't smart. I didn't want to be called out. I didn't want to hang around kids who, who, who were smart because, you know, they would probably ask me how to spell a word. So I just, I totally divorced myself from school, totally, as a young man. No matter how much my mother beat me, I still didn't want to go to school. And so this went on and on and on. And uh, finally, I get caught with a lot of drugs. Uh, I'm, what, I'm, uh, I'm 17 at the time, but there was an incident that took place at the age of 14 where a guy came in was selling drugs and I was erroneously taught that you should hurt someone if they come in and sell drugs on your turf and I did that mm. and so I went I ended up in jail got back out of jail after a year serving time still couldn't read I back into the drug game because I can't fill out an application I can't I can't I can't fill out an application so by now, you know, I'm selling and I'm about 17 years old. I get busted with a large quantity of drugs and facing a bunch of time in prison. Lo and behold, I do about four years on this, on this offense. So I made it up in my mind. I said, listen, man, I have to learn to read. And so what I did was I, uh, the judge gave me four years for uh, possession of cocaine with intent to distribute. And I said to myself, I'm going to learn to read. And what I did, I just wrote down thousands of words and memorized all these words because I realized that the men that I was in prison with, a lot of those guys couldn't read it, they couldn't write. So they were just coming in and out of jail, in and out. There was just, it was just recidivism, you know, recidivating, right? Because they couldn't read. I'm like, I don't want to be like that. So I took four years to just writing all these words down yesterday, tomorrow, yes, uh, they, though, Whatever it was, I wrote the word down. And so I, I made, basically taught myself to read. And there was a teacher there. You know, when you go into the prison system, you are screened, right? And mm-hmm. so I was reading on a third grade level. I was okay. tested. I'm, I'm just, this time I'm 23 now. I'm, I'm reading on a third grade level. And so uh, I, uh, he brought a lady in from she she didn't work in the prison but she was from outside of the prison she came in he knew that I was reading poorly he talked to us about dyslexia I was screened uh placed aside and uh they came up with the idea that I was dyslexic because after the screening they said listen 
it, you know, they begin to ask me, could my mother read? Could my dad read? I'm like, yeah, my, my mom could read, my dad could read, both my brothers and sisters can read. And so my teacher at the time, uh, who really wanted black men, this, this guy really was, you know, there's a lot of us are black in the prison. And he really wanted black men to get out and do the right thing. Good guy, mm-hmm. very, very good guy. And, and he, he was telling us, man, listen, you got to get your GED. You got to learn to read. You got to learn to write. And I took that serious because I realized that if I didn't, I was going to repeat again. And so I never forget, you know, he told me about dyslexia. I really didn't understand what he was talking about. I, at this time, I'm in prison. The only thing I knew was that I needed to call my mom and tell my mom, hey, mama, I'm not dumb. Right. This guy said I'm dyslexic and it has something to do with your reading, right? This brain, this thing, you know, because it doesn't mess with your intelligence. And so that boosted my self-esteem. I felt better about myself. My mother and our relationship got really strong. She repented for the things that she had said and did to me, the names that she had called me. And uh I began to flourish because now I'm saying to myself, okay, I have a problem, but it, I'm not I'm not dumb. Just because you can't read doesn't make you dumb, doesn't make you stupid. And so it took me, during that time I was in prison for four years, I attained my GED, felt good about myself, and then I started setting goals, uh, started acting and whatnot. But once I met Senator Bill Cassidy, uh, he had given me an award for overcoming dyslexia. And then I started diving into what it is and how it functions, how the brain works. And I'm like, okay, I wanna help other kids. I've gotta help other kids. I just left the prison and I knew a gang of men who can't read, a bunch of grown men who can't read or write. So this is a serious issue and I can be the voice for it. So I took the torch and I ran with it. And so until this day, that's all I want to do is is, is spread the word of early screening, get these kids remediated. Mm -hmm. And uh, also we got to help people that are incarcerated because if I incarcerate you for five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years and you still don't know how to read, you're going to recidivate. And so we have to, we have to, we have to try to help both people for both spectrums, the kids and those that are incarcerated. Because if you don't, those who are kids, they're going to end up being, some of them will end up being incarcerated. Those who are incarcerated will end up going back. So you constantly have this revolving door. Yeah. Um, so you you mentioned Bill Cassidy and you were working with his team or his wife, right, on yes. creating a program for screening in prisons. Yes. Um, can you tell Can you tell me about that program? Well, I had uh, it was a, a program. Uh, Senator Cassidy contacted me. He said, "Listen to me. I want you to take my wife into the prison because uh, I was in that prison, Elaine Correctional Facility, it's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana." So I want you to take my wife into the prison and I want you guys to screen 100 men and 100 women for dyslexia because she's a white lady. She's a doctor. These are violent men. Some of these men are in there for rape, murder, all kinds of crime. I've been in that prison. They know me. So it's difficult to get guys to participate at any level uh, uh, talking about dyslexia. So I went in, talked to the guys about dyslexia laid the path work down say listen man listen brother you guys know some of you guys can't read just like me i was here with you guys blah 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 just the whole spiel right convince these guys to do it lo and behold uh miss cassidy for some reason uh 
I don't know, she decided to uh, discontinue her relationship with me after that took place. And they had a guy uh, they had shown on PBS. I think it was it was the morning news on Good Morning America. It was a, it was a, uh, I forgot the name of the show, but it was on C uh, CBS. And it was one of the brothers that we had screened. And, you know, he he was a guy, and I think he was doing 10 years. He couldn't read, he couldn't write. He was dyslexic uh, after they had screened him. And uh, it didn't go so well. The story didn't really go so well because, you know, he was pretty, he was kind of shy, right? He was kind of shy and had too much to say, but they went with him. And so it didn't impact our, I, I had, I had, I wasn't disgruntled at all that she discontinued her relationship with me based upon that. I don't know why to this day. I, I, I don't know why, right? I was on a Yale website for dyslexics, uh, successful dyslexics and her and Mrs. Uh, uh, the lady who uh, runs that, that, uh, that thing. Hey, uh, the Shaywoods, yeah, the Shaywoods. They took me down uh, off the site. I really, it, it, I don't know, but that's how that went. Uh, may God bless them, prosper them. Uh, but what I realized in this business, uh, and I don't know why people have made it a business, but it's very competitive. Everybody wants to do it their way, this particular name, that particular name. I'm just into helping people. I don't care what color you are. I don't care. I don't care too much about the curriculum. Long as we can get people screened, long as we can get people re remediated, that's all I'm concerned with. But it is so competitive. This one wants to be better than that one. And ma'am, you know, I heard one, one person told me that they were very intimidated by me. When I speak, they're intimidated because I have so much charisma. I'm like, listen, you are a doctor. I don't have that type of education. Mm -hmm. But it just shows me that it's not about education. It's about the will and the desire to connect with people and be truthful to people, to be passionate. That's what gets you what you want, passion and love for, for what you're involved in, not finances. You know, I mean, you can't be moved by this thing by finance. You got to be moved by passion. So when I speak, I speak passionately to, to people that are in prison. I speak passionately to kids because I've been there. Mm -hmm. And uh that's all I want to use my life for. So I, I, ch I actually chose acting. When I, when I was in prison, I made the decision to become an actor because I love theater, uh, but I realized that the only way that I can connect with people, I had to be successful. People don't care about you being a doctor. People don't care about you being a dentist. People care about you being successful, quote unquote, a celebrity. So when celebrities open their mouths, people listen. So I chose this path so I could uh, 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 speak about these issues that impact people of all color. Mm -hmm. um, wow. You, you said a lot of so much truth in that, you know, I, I deal with a lot of toxicity as well, you know, just being a public advocate. It always blows my mind because I'm like, aren't we here to try to save our kids? What? <laughs> right. I mean, let's, let's keep our focus people. <laughs> but, um, when I first came across you, I remember, um, you were doing a lot of posting at the time. Uh, I don't remember where you are, were, sorry. It looked like you were kind of in just general rec centers and you were working with children, yeah, helping them with their reading. That was the first time I came across you. 
Yeah. Well, that that we uh, that was what two years ago, right before the pandemic. Uh, it was a group that I was working with. A guy I, I was working with this. I was running a business uh, called Uptown Recycling. It was a recycling business, big business. I was the manager there, and a guy uh, name was Al Smith, and he does a lot in the community. So he has this huge warehouse, and he does all kind of things for inner city youth. And so they they had a a, a program that summer called Us helping us because Al believes that, listen, man, we have to take our own resources within our own black community and help ourselves. Quit asking people and begging people, can you help me, can you help? We have enough resources within our own community to to first start trying to help ourselves. And so I'm a huge uh, believer in that, right? I mean, if I don't help myself, I should depend on you to help me. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. And so what I did was, it was a lot of kids that were phonetically weak and so I would teach them every, the whole entire summer, right? And some of these kids read poorly. And so I would just spend, you know, four hours a day at the center teaching reading while someone else was teaching math and helping with homework. And uh, that, that's, that was something I was passionate about. I got on the chalkboard and just sound out words for them. I mean, that's what I, listen, when you empower a person to read, oh my God, that, that you know, they soar. Mm-hmm. They're so they soar, and, and I, I I miss that. You know, COVID shut that down for us. Our parents got scared; they didn't want their kids around other kids, and so you know, it kind of shut that down. But you know, I would I would still go into the projects and pull up on people and talk to them about dyslexia, let them know what it is and, and how you should respond to your kid, and how you should fight for your kid, and how you shouldn't you know call kids names like my parents did. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they didn't know. You know, some people are so stressed out in these poor communities, they're extremely stressed out. And one thing, uh, one thing, uh, I don't have a problem with this. Uh, and we all, we're all family, right? So I, you know, I, what I do is I try to understand everyone. I, I'm not biased at all. You know, Richard Branson uh, says that we shouldn't teach the dyslexic brain how to read. Uh, and, and, and dyslexia is a gift. And uh, you know, some of that I believe I concur. Uh, however, uh, you know, growing up in poverty-stricken areas where you're going to be teased, uh, uh, where you, you, you won't be identified, uh, it's deadly. It's deadly. Now, if you're growing up in a suburban area, okay, that's fine. But, you know, you got parents that have money and you're in nice, conducive neighborhoods to learning and, and to uh, developing a kid. That's perfectly fine. But I mean, I think we should, if, 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 if it's there for the kid to learn to read, if there are tools that we know how to teach the dyslexic brain to read, why not? Right. I mean, because if, 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 if I want to know about Germany, you see, I want to go on vacation to Germany, right? I have to get a book about Germany and read about Germany, right? That's when I discover the places where I want to go. But if I can't read, then I don't know. I mean, in reading, it, you, you need comprehension, right? And so if I can't read, then I can't comprehend unless it's told to me, or, you know, verbally. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, I think reading is very important. I think, you know, but yet I don't argue with my brother, right? He's my brother. I mean, we may differ on that, right? We may differ on that, but that's my brother. He's trying to help people. Richard Branson and them, they're trying to, made by dyslexia, trying to help people. And I understand that. Uh, but I just, I'm just speaking from personal experience, how when I learned to read, I felt so much good about myself. 
like, oh, I'm somebody now. Mm-hmm. So. Well, we're in, we live in a society where you can't access pretty much anything if you can't read. There's very little <laughs> that you can do yeah. if you can't read. Yeah, and that's, you know, you know, our society's not gonna change from that. Not in our lifetimes, probably not in our children's lifetimes or or even our grandchildren's lifetimes. So I tend to be more aligned with you, but I understand what you're saying and and I agree, you know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to work for the same thing. Yeah. Um, and that's ultimately that's important. Um two, I want to get to all of the testimony that that you do you know i've seen you testify in front of uh at congress right in dc but i've also seen you go to various states and help advocacy groups testify for the bills that they're trying to get passed yeah well like i said earlier it's it's, it's important and if i have the time i'm not working i have the time i'll fly out anywhere to try to uh to 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 give my testimony because i I think politicians or uh, or are oblivious to uh, dyslexia because their kids haven't suffered from dyslexia. And I think Senator Cassidy is so passionate about dyslexia because his daughter is dyslexic. And so trying to get people to understand that, trying to get people to care and be sensitive to this because it's not only impacting people of of dark skin color, people of all backgrounds. And so what we're trying to prevent is the prison, the school to prison pipeline, uh, because dyslexics, 35% of dyslexics drop out of school. And so depending on what environment you're growing up in, really will determine some of the choices that you make, right? You know, the poor choices that you're going to make. And kids that are growing up in, 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 in poverty-stricken communities are more likely to, to fall into a life of crime. Uh, I'm not saying that poverty uh, uh, makes you commit crime, but it certainly impacts your thinking, right? And so if a kid is a young person, he he or she can't deliberate clearly like you and I can, Mm -hmm. right? So it's going to impact you. Say you say John growing up in Topanga, Kansas, he's going to drive on a tractor trailer. He's going to learn how to farm. He's going to learn how to build houses, right? Mm -hmm. But if you take... uh, Samuel, who's growing up in uh, the heart of the ghetto, he may less more likely choose uh, the less path of resistance, which is burglary, Mm -hmm. stealing, doing those types of things, because that's what he's living around, particularly if you're growing up in a single parent home, uh, more than likely. So if the parents, if if there's a poor foundation uh, with the parents, and that kid is more likely to commit a crime. And I think too, you know, because um, pe- people of color tend to be disproportionately represented in special education, but they're not labeled dyslexic. They tend to be labeled Absolutely. behavior problems, you know, emotional yeah. disturbance. And then, and and then of course, suspensions and expulsions are significantly higher. Absolutely. You know, and people of color are it's to such a disproportion that you can add everybody up of all of the other races together and they're still outnumbered right absolutely Uh, listen this is you know i I, 
I try to to be on. I try, I try to stay just neutral as possible. But institutional racism is within the system. They will take the black boy who's cutting up and say he's crazy, put him on some medicine, he's bad. But the white kid who can't read and doing the same thing is less likely to be accepted. Mm -hmm. It is unbelievable when you see this, but it's, it exists. It's the world we're living in. I'm just trying to tell people, listen, I just want to get my people to learn to read, all kids to read. That's that that racist side that exists. It's in it's, in, it's ingrained in this country. It's in, it's in the culture. It's it's everywhere, and you mm -hmm. see it. Uh, I hate talking about it, but it exists. It exists. Well, and to, you know what? What I was going to say too is when you raise a child in a culture where they're being shamed, like what you were talking about, eight minutes for a paragraph and the teacher's ridiculing, rid, excuse me, ridiculing. Ridiculing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I can't talk today. <laughs> and, you know, you're being, you know, called to the principal's office and you're getting suspended and expel, uh, expelled from school. I mean, it's, you're, you're creating an environment where the child thinks that they can't do anything right. Right. And so why are they going to, when they get out of school, because they've dropped out, they've been kicked out. Why are they going to go try to get a job? You've told them the whole time that they're bad. They're going to make bad choices because they're already in the mindset of that's all that I'm worthwhile to, to be, to do. Right. Right, that that child is shaped. That child's brain is 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 being wired in that way, and once they make those connections to being bad, it's it's very difficult to disconnect that. I mean, it yes. was for me. It, it it took a lot, and you know, another thing is too, like if I had a passion for learning, right? Because what I had to come, I had to mature it and realize, hey, listen, I have to learn to read. I can't fear this. Most kids, it takes a while to even believe that you can learn to read. It's, it's, so, it's so many dynamics that go into the psychic, right, with a kid. That's why early screening, is, it's crucial, mm -hmm. crucial. We got to get kids very early on, first, second, and third grading, and get them remediated right then and there, right? We, we got to get started right then and there. Because if you let a kid, a kid is reading, he, that kid is in the sixth grade and he's reading on the first grade level, the second grade level, it's going to be difficult to get that kid to learn to read. Completely. Because he's, he or she have lost self-esteem. They've totally lost it. And you have to build that back up. Yeah. And so it's difficult to do. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with my son this morning because I was telling him all about you and he, you know, he was asking the question, of course, he's 13, you know, so it's life's answers are simple to him, right? One plus one equals two. Right. So he was like, if we know how to teach everybody how to read, why are we not teaching all children how to read the right way? And I said, because I went, honestly, I don't know. But if you ever wanted to end poverty, you teach the, you teach our children the way that our brains learn how to read, you could end poverty in a generation. Listen, my grandmother, who only had a third grade education, told us the only way, and, and that's for everybody to get out of poverty, is through yeah. learning to read, education. 
-hmm. you listen, that's the only way out of poverty. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a big business to keep people in poverty. It's a business. This is the American way. Mm -hmm. The American way. I mean, uh, it, it's books. Uh, you know, when I read about the redlining and how they kept people in poverty, how they kept blacks from buying property, and they kept them just restricted to a certain area in the city, low economic areas, environment, and poverty, bunch of. I mean, I say, how can people do this to people? It's a business. It's money in poverty, right? Yeah. If you can control, if you can control people, right? A group of people or anybody, you. You keep them uneducated. You keep them ignorant. You can always dominate. Yeah. And so that's why you know uh, it was a uh, uh, Frederick Douglass. Uh, I read his the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. That's and, a powerful and, autobiography. Oh man, he believed in reading. Man, he believed. I mean, reading was powerful. And so mm -hmm. now I realize why they never wanted the Negro to learn to read. Because when you learn to read, you feel good about yourself. You stand up, you look somebody in the eyes. I can compete with you now. Mm -hmm. And he never wanted us to compete. So that, that, that spirit, that, that evil spirit still lives within this country today because we have the, we have the way to, to get people to learn. It's there, like your son said, it's available, why, but why won't we do it? Yeah. Can you imagine that? If I had to cure the cancer and I won't give you the cure, I won't give you the cure, why? Because it's big business in keeping you sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I talk about things like this in my book uh, because uh, I want people to get a panoramic view on how dyslexia works and how it impacts people. And, you know, if you go, you see Good Morning America, you see one of these stories, they always show uh, my white brothers and sisters who are kids who are dyslexic and but they never show the ugly side. My side is the ugly side. My side is the ugly side. And it's thousands of people, millions, probably millions of people like myself out there, black and white, mm -hmm. black and white. And so there's an ugly side, dyslexia. You say, well, it's the genius brain. And yeah, yeah, I, I believe there's some truth in that because I've always figured out how to get around things. I've always figured out how to make money. I've always been good at that. Right, right. Thinking outside of the box. Always was the smartest, you know, the smartest kid in figuring things out. Uh, but I still couldn't read. Uh, so I think that that you know, it, it's 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 almost as if like Stevie Wonder, he's blind, but he's gifted in playing the piano. It is it is a gift. It's it's a certain gift in that. You know, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's thirty five percent of self made millionaires are, are dyslexic, and so that's big. I know a lot of guys. You know, guys in the music business, guys in acting, they can't read, they, they can't read fluently, they can't spell well, but they're talented enough to go into business and make money. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I agree. But I still believe that there is an ugly side. Yeah. You know? But you have to have a certain level of access to be able to create the business, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There only a few people, only a few people are able to do that. Yeah, I mean, to be able to get the capital behind you yeah, or, you know, to have worked long enough to save up enough money to, you know, generate your own capital to start that endeavor. Well, that's, right? well, that's why, you know, you see a lot of rap business. They say, well, you know, I sold drugs, right? They sold drugs and they took their money and they made a business because right. they couldn't work and get it because, hey, if you can't read, you know, you can't get a job, right? <laughs> and unfortunately, people do things 
to start their own business. And so, yeah. you know, that's, but, but that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And, I, and I'm not a proponent of a person selling drugs at all to get a business. Not at all. You know, not at all. Yeah. So let's talk about your book for a second. What is the title of your book? I am going to link it in the comments for everybody who's watching and listening, but tell, tell us the title of your book. Uh, uh, Undiagnosed, the ugly side of dyslexia. And um, you just recently came out with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. We launched it uh, on the 6th of this month. That oh, came wow. out. We decided to launch it this month. You know, that month, it was, it's been completed, but we wanted to launch it in the month of dyslexia awareness month. I think that was a good move. Uh, we've been getting rave reviews, great response. Our learning allies have been a huge uh, supporter of us. Uh, we've merged with them. Uh, they've purchased so many books and they're getting them into so many people's hands. Uh, uh, educators, uh, mm -hmm. all different types of people. So I've got to give a shout out to them. Uh, Terry over at Learning Allies. She has been, oh my God, she's been, raving and uh, doing YouTube videos about the book. I mean, it's just, I'm just so grateful and thankful that it has gotten into the hands of the right people. And outside of them, just conventional people, regular people been buying the book and hitting me up saying, man, I love your story, man. It's a powerful story. Uh, and so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about it. I'm grateful. I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm just grateful. I want people to be aware of the ugly side of dyslexia. Not so much the Richard Branson story, uh, uh, Albert Einstein, uh, 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 who else? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Those are beautiful stories. Those are the beautiful stories of dyslexia. I'm talking about the ugly side. Well, and so few people do possess the beautiful story. So few, so few. You know, and I think that's a tragedy. Yeah, that's a tragedy. But they have the ability. Those who we all have the ability. And, and so one of the things I, I, I talk about is what's crucial in this book is for dyslexics to realize that the, the Calvary isn't coming. The Calvary, it isn't coming. And if it does, it's going to be years down the line. You have to find the strength to say, you know what? Even though I can't read, fluently, even though I can't write autographically correct, I'm still going to do something with my life. I'm going to do something with my life. Mm -hmm. If you got to go to a place and tell people, listen, I'm dyslexic. I can't fill out this application, but I can work. I guarantee you I'll be the most hardest working person in the place. Don't be ashamed. Uh, I want principals and school teachers to know never to embarrass a kid. Never do that. Never do what they did to me. I want parents to know Encourage your kid, love your kid, fight for your kid. Don't say what my parents said to me. And so uh, those are the three things that are crucial within the foundation of this book. Um, I also talk about those who are incarcerated because people who are incarcerated, they feel as though that their lives, it's over. It's like, it's over. Okay, I got a criminal record. But it's always possibility. It's always hope. And so me doing what I've done in my life since I've been extricated from that, that prison cell has been tremendous, but it has been a long, hard journey. If you think life is gonna be easy, buddy, you are in a world of trouble because it's not. But if you can hold on and find a good support system, you know, somebody can push you, somebody, more, uh, 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 mentors 
get you some mentors, whether it's your pastor, whether it's your cousin, somebody to tell you, hey man, listen, stay in there. You can do it. And so mm -hmm. I'm a living witness. My life is just my life is just a living witness to you can achieve what you want to achieve if you're willing to go through the hard work. Are there groups out there that are dedicated to educating the people within our prisons or is that far and few between? And regarding to dyslexic kids, people are in prison or, or just- in Prisons that are illiterate and, you know, dyslexic, they're either dyslexic or the school system failed them in general, but pretty much dyslexics. I mean, are there many programs no, out no, there? No, 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 I, I haven't came across one. Uh, I've, 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 heard, I've read about one. There's some people that's doing some stuff with some dyslexic kids, people, adults. Mm -hmm. but, uh, no, that's, you know, people don't care about incarcerated people. You know that, right? Yeah. I mean, people look at people, okay, he committed a crime, he needs to go do his time, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that same person is going to be knocking at your door five years from now when they get out, breaking, yeah. into, your, breaking into your house, robbing, sticking your, your, your children up, right? If you don't teach them a skill, right? Right. Got to teach them a skill. Yeah. I mean, I, I have all of my angst is as I've been advocating for my own child across the years is my, my deep frustration comes from the fundamental belief that once I labeled him as dyslexic, that he was incapable of learning how to read. That's what I ran into with my school district was just this, they never said it out loud, but it was just this fundamentally ingrained belief that because he was dyslexic, he, the expectations for him needed to be lowered dramatically because he would never learn how to read above a second, third, fourth grade level. But that was all the expectation we ever needed to place on him. Well, that, that, that is completely erroneous. Uh, yeah. uh, I was, uh, after I testified, uh, before Congress, a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Conway contacted me. He said, listen to me, he, he runs the NOW program and it's for dyslexics. And he said, I want to teach you how to read. I said, no, I know how to read. He said, no, you don't. He said, you just memorize a bunch of words. I'm like, you're right. And so I went on this journey with him for uh, 15 months, every day for one hour at the computer. Had somebody giving me that remediation when I was 12, 13 years old, 10, 11, I would have never gone to prison. You can learn to read. Yeah. You can learn to read. It's no doubt. I learned to read. I learned how language work. I learned how sounds blend, mixing, blending words. I, I, I understood it from his program. But at first I would just, I just memorized how to spell Tomorrow, I memorized how to spell they. But through his program, I said, oh my God. When I completed that program, it was just amazing, man. I'm like, wow, nobody never taught me this. But hey, he did it for me for free, but that was $100 an hour, right? And so what parent have that kind of money? I know my parents don't have that. My, my parents didn't have that kind of money. No. Yeah. My, my most people don't. Most people don't. <laughs> I'm sure Charles Richard Branson have that kind of money. Oh, yeah. Spielberg <laughs> has that kind of money. Leonardo DiCaprio has that kind of money. You know, the Shaywoods, they have that kind of money. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, so they have that kind of money. They have that kind of money. But 
the average person that doesn't have that kind of money. No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. You know, when so my son was near the end of first grade. He was barely seven. So he's he's a January birthday. So okay. We were in April or we were coming up on April Fool's Day. For some reason, I've got it tied to April Fool's Day because it was all right around there. <laughs> um, when we found out, he absolutely couldn't read at all. He thought the alphabet song was just a song that you sang at school. He didn't understand that the letters that were, you know, above the chalkboard in his classroom were what he was singing in the song. And that those letters had sounds, and when you combine the sounds, they made yes. words. Yeah. He had he had none of that at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so no. you know uh, what what we did was we went to Linda Mood Bell, which at the time was one hundred and fourteen dollars an hour. Ooh. And you know, both my husband and I took loans out of our four hundred one ks to pay for it. Because we were like, this is bad and he needs help now. And we felt like we had a program that helped and it, and it did, it helped, it helped him incredibly. We, you know, we couldn't sustain that for very long. And we switched to a completely different, <clears throat> excuse me, a completely different program in August. And he finished his remediation. <laughs> He was coming up on the end, very end of his remediation when COVID began. Oh, wow. And Lucky his teacher was like, I guess we're done. And I went, he has like six lessons left. And I, I taught her how to use Zoom and I convinced her that she could remediate kids over Zoom. And I said, just practice with my son. He's been doing this for so long. I promise you, you're going to, you're going to, you know, get the results that you want. And so she she practiced with my son and he managed to finish his six lessons. Oh yeah. Over the first few months that you know the world shut down because COVID hit hit everywhere. But you know, right after fifth his fifth grade year ended, he he got his little certificate and he was like, uh, he was done with that program. And you know, thank God for that investment because he can read ahead of grade level. He can't yeah. write. But he can read. He can read. Yeah. He has dysgraphia. So his written expression is barely at a second grade level. Mm -hmm. And he and I are working on that together because that's also not taught in schools anymore, unfortunately. And we've lost the art of, you know, you need to teach reading and writing at the same time. You have to. And a lot of our remediation programs are focused so much on there's a writing aspect to them but they're so focused on the reading that you know the writing kind of gets left behind for our dysgraphic kids so that's something that he and i still have to work on together that's a journey we still have to travel but but you see how fortunate you were just to, to go into your 401k i mean yeah. any parent would do that if, you know I, I would give everything that i have for my kid to learn to read but how many parents have a 401k exactly. going in there and, and just doing whatever they got to do? Exactly. So, boy, it's a, you know, thank God you guys had the, those resources. Exactly. You know, and um, when we reached out to the firms or separate firms for our 401ks to do our loans, they were like, why are you doing this? And we were like, we need it for, we need it for our child. You know, we need to, we explained, 
and you know rah, rah. and <laughs> I finally looked at the guy that I was talking to and I said you don't understand I'll bankrupt myself six times over absolutely in order to ensure that he has what he needs no doubt about it no doubt about it I was like, nothing I have do I need to keep. I will bankrupt myself Absolutely. happily yeah. in order to guarantee that's, his success. That's a hell of an investment. That's a great investment idea. Yeah. <laughs> your, your, your son's life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Important. Exactly. Important. And that's, you know, what all, what we need to be giving our children within the education system. But but you're right. I mean, it's, it's big business and there's something to gain by keeping a certain set of the population illiterate and dependent upon the headlines that they hear and you can control the people if you yeah. have to, if you can have if you have to depend on me i can control you mm -hmm. i can control you i don't want you to be a free thinker <laughs> so what do you have what do you what's in the future what do you have what do you have coming up oh what's, well well, what's here, well i'm excited about the future i have a i have a tv show coming out well, this is the, this is going to be the fifth season. I worked on it two seasons. Uh, this is the sixth season. It's called The House Divided. Another show show that I'm working on right now with Tyler Perry. It's out right now called Zatima. This is the second season. I was on both seasons of that. It's still in the first season. And uh, uh, another TV show that I just finished up called Sacrifice. Okay. Uh, I'm on uh, episode nine and 10 and the next season I'll be on as a regular. So I've got a lot of stuff going on. And in January, I'm on another, I'm doing a movie in January for AMC. So got some great things going. And ultimately what I want to do is, is do the, I have the screenplay. I want to turn this book into a film. That's, that's the story the, to make it into a film. Uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Precious with Gabby Siddeley and the struggles that she went with her, her mother calling her names, et cetera. So it's sort of be like the, the male version of that, mm -hmm. about this young boy who's growing up, unable to read, uh, really pounded by his family, goes out into the streets, discover all types of bad stuff, goes to prison, teaches himself to read and becomes successful and now uses his voice to help kids with dyslexia. So I, at the end of the at the end of the movie, I want to show my five minute uh, testimony clip before the United States Senate, you know, to really just concretize the film. So I, I, that, I got it all written out. It's, all, it's already written. That, that's my goal. Now I want this from a book form to a visual form, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think it's, it's more powerful when you can see something, right? You can read, like a reader can read and can see it, right? You can see the story. But it's nothing like visual right, when you see something. So that's 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 my ultimate goal, and just to open up a, a school for dyslexic kids. That's what I want. And then after that, I could die. <laughs> I could die. I'll be ready to die. Wow. Well, and I I think it's important to tell the story. I mean, there's a lot of documentaries out there about dyslexia, right? But I think it's important to put out the story. I love that because it's important to put out the story that people will see, yeah, you know, because it's not a documentary. People are more inclined to watch a movie than a documentary and right. finally try to get some understanding, try to, you know, cause what you said earlier is unless it's impacting your life, it tends to be something you don't Absolutely. understand. Yeah, people don't care about 
a plane went down. If, you know, if we got to go on the news and say, say a plane went down in Chicago, people, oh, yeah, uh, the next day we forget about it. But if your family member was on that plane, they didn't impact you. Right. Right. So having dyslexia, you become sensitive to all movements. I, I am so sensitive to people having cancer or whatever, sugar dot, anything, because I'm like, it impacts you. So I'm sensitive in that way. And I, I'm, I'm sort of grateful for having it because it makes me sensitive. Definitely. Um, and just to, just to name it, because I know a question's come up, the program I switched my son to from Linda Mood Bell was the Nye House program. Because I live in Houston, so I know the Nye House people, uh, Dr. Tracy Whedon and others. Oh, and I, oh, I know Dr. Tracy Whedon. Oh, you do? <laughs> oh, that's a great friend. Oh, she's a, oh, she, uh, Dr. Tracy is, oh, Dr. Tracy is beautiful. She is so beautiful. She's a beautiful human being. Mm -hmm. Oh really my is. God, she's a beautiful human. Oh man, yeah. She's I mean, I'm, I'm lucky I'm in Houston that 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 they're here. You know, that yeah. was, that was yeah. an easy solution for us. Got it. So, <laughs> because I, you know, I also talk to a lot of people who, um, like I have some friends in various rural parts of the country, you know, they don't, they don't have tutors they're just you know there's no access for them really to to find anybody to to help them tutors are far and few between so yeah it's it's pretty sad but um we've been on for about an hour and i want to respect your time and this has been amazing and i can't thank you enough I'm going to link your book in the comments for sure and um, post post a picture of your book in a separate post as well so everybody can see your book. I can't, personally, I can't wait to get your book. I know one of my friends, Sherry Lucas Hall, has been posting about your book. Um, she's been on Coffee Talk before. She's a letters-trained educator. Okay. And she's reading one chapter a day because... <laughs> She's like, this is powerful. <laughs> and I want to take my time with it too. And she's been writing just some of the most amazing comments about your book. So oh, that's, everybody, that's awesome. that I, everybody that I know that's reading it is just high praise for your book. So I personally can't, sorry, I haven't read it yet. I've been taking a bunch of classes, <laughs> plus working full time, but I, it is on my I totally very understand. near to-do list. Yeah, but I thank you for this opportunity. And uh, uh, I'll... Uh, well, I think I have the, the link, the Amazon link and uh, my, my publisher link. Uh, I'll send that to you and uh, you can put it up and where people can go and get it and uh, just enjoy a great read. Yeah, definitely. Thank you again so much. This has been absolutely just breathtaking. I can't, I can't thank you enough. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm sorry I didn't have my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> like I said, water over here at this point. <laughs> so to everybody watching, have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. Bye-bye.